welcome to Bullpen Sessions, where you will learn the lessons from the athletes excelling at the highest level so you can take these same lessons and apply them to your sport, business, and life. My name is Andy Neary, and each week I sit down with current and former pro athletes and other professionals tied to the sports world where we dive into the mindset of those athletes excelling at the highest level teaching you lessons you can apply so you can have massive success in your sport, business, and life. So do me a favor, grab your glove, grab a ball, take the mound, because you are about to strike out those limiting beliefs that have been holding you back for oh so long. Here we go. Hey, welcome back to the Bullpen Sessions podcast. Uh, This week, I had the chance to sit down with Scott McGregor. Scott is the founder of Something New LLC, and he's also the founder of the Talent Champions Council. Something New LLC is an organization dedicated to helping uh, corporations really reinvent the way they recruit, which let's face it, we need to do nowadays. And uh, they've really built something special in helping organizations helping corporations stand out to win that war on talent. And then what he's doing with Talent Champions Council is really fascinating. Again, all dedicated to helping leaders in any walk of life really stand up and leverage what it means or takes today to find the right people for their organization. And so our topic today is really recruiting talent. And if you're a baseball fan, you're really going to like it because we spend a lot of time talking about how the movie Moneyball, or better yet, what the GM Billy Bean of the Oakland Athletics knows that so many organ- other baseball organizations don't about finding good talent, finding the right people. It's not about the sexiness of the t- statistics, uh, uh, the all the all-star nods, all the home runs. It's about putting the right people in your organization that are going to have you have massive success. And the same is true in business. It's not about the resumes and the educational backgrounds. It's, are they a right fit for our culture? And do they have the intangibles to be a key contributor to our organization? And Scott talks about those key tangibles, those intangibles that you just can't teach and coach. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Like I said, anytime I get to talk about baseball and business in the same conversation, I am a happy man. So buckle up, grab a pen, grab a piece of paper, take some notes. You're really going to like this conversation with Scott McGregor. Shift your mindset. All right. Welcome back to Bullpen Sessions. Anytime I get a chance to talk business and baseball in the same conversation, it is a good day. So this episode is going to be no different. I've got uh, Scott McGregor joining me today. He is the founder of Something New LLC. He's also the founder of the Talent Champions, which we are going to talk a lot about today. Um, And here's why I wanted to have Scott on. Scott's got a great analogy about how recruiting and Moneyball really have a lot in common when it comes to finding good people. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Moneyball, it is a movie that was written, uh, I don't know how many years ago, I can't remember, but it was talking about Billy Bean, the GM of the Oakland Athletics, and what he's been able to do by creating a winning team, a sustained winning team over time without having to have the best people on his team. So we're going to get into that. But before we do, Scott, welcome to the Bullpen Sessions podcast. 
Andy, I'm fired up. I agree. Baseball and business—that's uh, a good combo for me. Yes, that we're gonna have, we're gonna have a good time, especially today. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have a great time with this. So, Scott, before we get there, before we dive into that, for the folks listening in who may not know who Scott's uh, Scott McGregor is, just give us sure. a little bit of a background. Where do you live? Where you're from? What are you doing these days? Yep, I live in Connecticut. Uh, I was a, a very frustrated chief revenue officer for 17 years. So I built a company from five people to about 300. During that time, uh, I was working with traditional recruiters. I thought it was the most dysfunctional industry I'd ever seen in my life. I said, uh, I could pretty much figure out how to solve these problems. Uh, that I was encountering every day that I thought were critical to a business success. Uh, so I started a company almost seven years ago called Something New, uh, which is a talent strategy company that incorporates recruiting done in a very non-traditional way, but also has some advisory services uh, that we uh, provide for our clients as well. And it's been very successful. We've won the American Business Award a record six straight times. Um, and, you know, through that, started a private community uh, for what we call people over everything leaders uh, called the Talent Champions Council, which is a ton of fun. Uh, and we incorporate actually a lot of best practices from professional sports in the military, where I have a very large network. Uh, and incorporate that in to teach the principles and the lessons of uh, somebody's people strategy. Yeah, I mean, the, well, the funny thing about this is you and I connected a couple of weeks ago, and this is the second time we've ever connected. Yeah. But what you're doing made such an impact on me in that first call. And and when you gave me that analogy of Moneyball and recruiting, I was like, I got to have this guy on, on this podcast because this is going to be fun. Um, and we're going to dive into that because let's face it, Scott, recruiting, especially nowadays, is super challenging um, when the people you're trying to go after have the leverage. And so we'll, we'll talk about that. But before we even get into that, let's, let's bring some baseball back into this. Now, you went sure. to the University of Hartford. And, and the sports geek in me, uh, you know, Hartford, University of Hartford is one of those schools that's about to make an unprecedented move, which normally today you see all these schools going up a level from division, you know, in, in college football, it's FCS to FBS or division two to division one, but they're actually going from division one to division three. They're dropping, yeah. which is again, kind of an unheard of move, but take us back to when you were at University of Hartford, you played a little ball there and you had uh, one of your teammates was Jeff Bagwell. Uh, so kind of go back. Cause I'd be curious your thoughts back then when you played alongside Jeff Bagwell, did you think he would become the hall of famer? He, he is today. So I grew up with Jeff. Uh, so Jeff and I lived in neighboring towns. Uh, so we grew up together. We played against each other, uh, in youth baseball, then played against each other at rival high schools. Um, and he was always a very, very good player. Um, he was actually probably a better soccer player than he was a baseball player, but he was an exceptional baseball player. Uh, and I, my only claim to fame, if I have one, is that in the Tom Hammond Summer League, uh, I won the MVP award uh, and he came in second. So that was the last time that happened. So. I wanted to play Division One baseball coming out of high school, but I wasn't good enough to play. I wasn't going to play at uh, 
Miami or USC or like a, a powerhouse. Uh, but I had a couple friends who were going to the University of Hartford. Uh, Jeff was one. Another one was Pat Hedge. And they said, hey, we're building this really cool program. Uh, check it out. So I went up and met with uh, with the coach, Bill Dennehy, who's a great guy. And I'm like, I'm in. Uh, I wound up blowing out my back. I never played uh, and transitioned very quickly from being a competitive athlete to, okay, uh, I'm, I'm obviously not going to uh, have a, a professional baseball career. Uh, so I've got to figure something out. And that's how business became kind of my new obsession. So how did recruiting, you know, where does recruiting come into play here? Cause you're a former chief revenue officer, you know, what were, I guess, when you were the chief revenue officer, what gaps did you see? Cause obviously everybody starts a business to solve a problem. Right. Yeah. And what gaps did you see back then in recruiting that led you to this down this path of, okay, you were at a point where you said, I gotta, I gotta do something. I gotta figure this out. Yeah. Help it's, others, cr others find good talent without having so much frustration. It actually started even before that. So I got into uh, sales management really young. I was like 24, 25 years old. And I got my first sales management job and I took over a team that was under 40% of quota. And this was at a fortune 500 company, Pitney Bowes. Uh, and, you know, the first thing I did was try to figure out why is this team under 40% of quota? And I realized that if you looked at their resumes, they all came from companies like Xerox and big, big names, but they weren't producing. And it was, it really had to do with the intangibles. So I wound up letting the entire team go and I hired a brand new team, but nobody with industry experience. So it was kind of a ragtag bunch. And I remember my branch manager, John Yerganian was like, all right, I'm going to let you hire these people, but I, I, I don't know. Uh, one year later, we were the number one team in the country um, because I hired based on work ethic, discipline, resiliency, things like that, that I knew intuitively from a sports perspective were probably going to make us successful. Being from a big company like Xerox and knowing that industry wasn't really uh, as important. And so I think from a very early age, I always understood that no matter what my company's product or service was, that my success or failure was really going to be contingent on the teams that I built. And I had to build teams very strategically. Um, and, and that's why when Moneyball came out, I was like, wow, this totally speaks my language. Like, I get it. Um, it's not the guy who's 6'2", 190, and, you know, has an incredible, uh, you know, incredible speed and, and this and that. Uh, and, and so that really spoke to me. And it's funny because Moneyball is one of the books that everybody that comes to work for us gets. Uh, we send them a big care package, and Moneyball is one of those books uh, that we send them to read. So – what Scott McGregor was to Pitney Bowes, Billy Bean is to the Oakland Athletics. Because what you realized, you know, to set the stage for people who maybe aren't baseball fans or have never seen the movie Moneyball, you know, Brad Pitt, of course, they've got to have a, 
a, a gorgeous looking man play the GM of the Oakland athletics. Right. Um, he's, he's assigned this task, you know, Billy Bean's been assigned this task to, to essentially run the Oakland athletics with it, which is a very small payroll team. And if you were to go back, you know, Scott, when I look back, you know, last 20 years, maybe yeah. the amount of times the Oakland athletics have been in the playoffs or just knocking on the door of the playoffs. If you really look at the, the standings, it's unprecedented for a team that has never had a good payroll for a team that every year probably is going to lose one of their best players to free agency because they can't right. afford them. And, but year after year, Billy Bean spits out this team that seems to win 80, 90, sometimes even a hundred games. It's absolutely insane. And really in the movie, you know, where the stage is set is when he, I forget, I'm forgetting the name of the people that are actually in play, but when Billy Bean comes upon this saber metrics, right? This formula that was, uh, uh, created back, I think in the seventies and eighties, let's just talk about that. How James. Bill James, yeah, that's right. How, how, when you start thinking about the whole concept of sabermetrics and Moneyball and how it applies to recruiting, let's just even start before. Today it's 2021. We're in a very different world today. What are some of the biggest challenges recruiters face trying to find the best people? Or the um, right, more importantly, the right people? It's, so it's, it's going, so the easy thing to do is to find people with industry experience. Literally, you can just put in, you know, some search criteria into LinkedIn and you can find people that come from competitors or come from uh, the industry. Uh, What you can't find is those things, work ethic, empathy, resiliency, discipline, communication skills. That's not, that doesn't show up on a LinkedIn profile. So that makes it a lot more difficult for recruiters to find people that are going to actually be impactful. They may find people that will get hired because hiring managers are still have a predisposition to go with their comfort, which is, hey, this person has 10 years experience in the industry. They've done well, so I'm going to hire them. That doesn't really mean they're going to be successful in this new venture. Uh, so that's really the challenge is to try to uncover what are those intangibles that are directly correlated to success and then get every stakeholder, meaning everybody in the interview process, on the same page, evaluating people the same way, using the same criteria. Because honestly, if you look, so most interview processes, they have five, six, seven people involved. If you put them in separate rooms and you said, what do you value in a candidate? You would get six or seven different answers. So how in the world are you ever going to hire the right person when your stakeholders don't even agree on what they're looking for? It's the equivalent uh, in sports of if you sent a bunch of coaches to the combines and you said, what are you looking for in a quarterback? And they all value different things from football IQ to foot speed to this arm strength, this and that. How would you ever draft the right quarterback if you don't even agree on what you're looking for? So that's one of the first things that people have to do um, is to come together and figure out what they're looking for and base it more on the intangibles. Well, and that really resonated with me because coming from the insurance industry, you see it all the time. Agencies will hire for 
purely based on industry experience. Yep. And they think they found their all-star because the individual has been in the industry for 15 uh-huh. to 20 years. But what often happens is very inflated salary. <laughs> um, they're stuck in their ways, probably not always a good culture fit. And it's very hard to coach them. And so that often becomes a very expensive overhead. Yep. And they're not getting the results they want versus to your point, let's go find some people. I don't care what experience they have or not in this industry. They got the right tangibles. I can work with that. So let's, let's start diving in now with the whole Moneyball Saber metrics and recruiting, because again, some people might be listening going, the hell are you guys talking about? (laughs) But let's actually start on the Saber metrics side, the, 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 the Moneyball side. Yep. Talk about what Billy Bean looks for when he's trying to find the right guys to fill out the baseball roster. Yeah, he's I mean, he's looking for those intangibles, but he's diving into statistics to do it. One of the things that we do uh, on our side is we create a scorecard. It's a very sophisticated scorecarding system that has if you looked at any job description, if you went on Indeed, there are a million job descriptions out there. If you looked at those job descriptions, there are 10, 15, 20 different things that a company's looking for. The problem is none of them are put into buckets by priority. So when you have a laundry list, they all, in essence, have equal value, but they don't have equal value. So there are certain things that are must-have, non-negotiables. There are certain things that are important. And then there are certain things that are nice to have. So I'll give you a a very, very common mistake. Education is put in most job descriptions. Education for most roles, whether you have a bachelor's or master's or whatever, is typically a nice to have. And the school you went to certainly is a nice to have. Uh, It's not a must have, but in our minds, we trick ourselves sometimes into overinflating things. I'll give you an, uh, another example. In my past life, um, my CEO interviewed a woman that we were considering for a national account manager position. And his name was Leo. And I said, after he interviewed her, what did you think? He said, I loved her. I said, why did you love her? He said, she went to Yale. And I said, okay, well, what else? And he just went on and on about uh, her education at Yale. And honestly, her education at Yale was going to be no predictor whatsoever of whether she would be successful in that role, uh, other than, you know, she might be competitive. Um, You know, she's obviously intelligent, but it doesn't really tell the full story. And it's an example of we get enamored by, wow, they went to Yale or, wow, they worked at Google as if there's no bad employees at Google, which there are. Um, and, and we overinflate those things. So a scorecarding system, which is very similar to how Billy Bean and his crew evaluates baseball players, uh, really helps companies to make data-driven decisions rather than, oh my God, you know, I love Andy because Andy played baseball and I, I play baseball. That, that doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Well, and then to keep the analogies to, to baseball going, it's the equivalent of a GM looking at a player that they want to sign as a free agent and just focusing on home runs and RBIs. 
Yep. And and not realizing, but he strikes out 230 times a year and he his on base percentage is 25%. And yep. I think that's one thing, you know, when you look watch the movie Moneyball and you think about Saber Metrics, one of the statistics they place a heavy emphasis on is on base percentage. I don't yep. care. I don't need guys to hit home runs. I need guys to get on base because if yeah. I get guys on base, we're gonna score, you know, we're gonna send them around the bases and they'll score a run. We'll get them in. Um, so it's those intangibles, not the sexy numbers. I, I look at. Like, I was just going to use that word. It's not sexy. People are swayed by sexy, uh, but sexy doesn't win ball games, and it doesn't uh, produce results in sales. That's exactly it. I mean, and even look in today's baseball, uh, the focus of baseball, it's kind of sad, you know. When you watch games now, what are they talking about? Launch angles. They're talking about home runs, RBIs. And I think baseball, outside of the athletics, uh, most of baseball has lost focus on, hey, why don't we just go get a bunch of guys? They don't all need to be all-star talent, but they're going to be guys who get the job done, get on base. They're pitchers who are going to get outs. They're going to throw strikes. Those intangibles that you can't teach. Leo was stuck on the sexiness. He was stuck on the launch angle of, well, she went to Yale, so she must be good. Um, So how does actually, let's spin that quick. Okay. There's an HR professional listening in who is responsible for finding talent. Let's again, admit it's a challenge here these days. So instead of focusing on that educational background and all the sexy statistics, what should those recruiters be focusing on today? It's all the intangibles and you've got to lock yourself in a room with the decision makers uh, that are going to be involved in the vetting process. And you've got to say, what is what does success look like in this person? And it's typically work ethic, discipline, resiliency. So those are my my three uh, holy grails. Um, And oftentimes when I'm having a conversation with somebody I say, gee, you know, I noticed that work ethic, discipline and resiliency, they're, they're not mentioned here. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course. But what that means when they say, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, is that they think incorrectly that that's table stakes, that everybody has that. That is so exceedingly rare. If we had people as a nation if we were had great work ethic, discipline, and resiliency, we wouldn't have the issues we have with people being overweight. We wouldn't have difficulties with people's financial situations. We would have a very different, uh, very different world. Uh, those things are exceedingly rare to find. And in my experience, leading sales teams for twenty plus years uh, and companies for the last seven. I don't find people with a great work ethic, great discipline and great resiliency that fail. I don't see it. Yeah, no, it's it's a great point. Again, I think in baseball, especially when you think about the intangibles, one thing you can't coach is speed, right? When, when, yep. when uh, scouts and evaluators look at talent, speed is something they see that we can't coach. We'll, we'll train them how to do everything else, but man, that guy, he just ran a six two sixty. Uh, you can't coach that. You can't teach that. So let's equate that back to the intangibles you just mentioned: work ethic, discipline, and resiliency. Are those things that can't be taught, can't be coached, or do you believe if somebody is lacking in one or two of those areas, they actually can be taught and coached? It's it's very very difficult. Um, 
extremely difficult. I mean, resiliency is something that you build up over time, over the course of time by going through difficulty. But most companies aren't structured and set up to let people consistently fail uh, and get to the point where they can support them until they're finally successful. So most companies, whether it's because they're VC-backed or they're public companies, uh, they don't have the patience for that. So I think it's very, very difficult uh, to teach those or to let somebody go through the natural evolution that it takes to build something like resiliency. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, it's also about adaptability too, right? You know, again, thinking about sports, the best teams are able to adapt um, given the moment, given the game, whatever it might be. Looking at the recruiting world today, I mean, just to compare – December 2021 to December 2019, what it was like. Where have you seen, outside of the obvious, you know, people work from home now, it's more of a virtual world. Where have you seen the biggest changes occur in talent acquisition and recruiting over the last two years since, since you know, we've gone into the pandemic? Um, I, I mean, the biggest is remote. Uh, so people now understanding that remote workers are, you know, that's what that's what employees are demanding. Um, and if you don't comply with that, it's really hard to find good people. And I think companies are scrambling to try to figure out how to manage people. It goes back to the intangibles again. When you have people that are now mm-hmm. working remote, uh, it's even more important that they have those what are I hate the term, but soft skills, um, you know, in order to to really predict that they're going to be successful. You know, you bring up a really good point. It's one thing you can't equate to sports, right? Baseball's a game played on a field. Nobody's playing virtually unless you're yeah. playing a video game. But now that the workplace is a lot more virtual, how do how do those re, uh, responsible for maintaining a culture within that organization, how can they do that today when it is such a challenge, when they don't have everybody in the same room, people are calling in from, you know, Zoom screens? How does yep. somebody maintain a good culture in this atmosphere? I think it's first figuring out what a good culture is. So a lot of companies think that a good culture is oh, we had ping pong tables and foosball tables and, you know, free snacks and maybe a kegerator. That doesn't make a good culture. That's like, we call it cultural Febreze. That like just masks the stink. Um, a lot of companies that have kind of that, that stuff that kind of is supposed to denote a good culture actually have a terrible culture. So culture is really made up of, How do you treat people? What are you doing to invest in them? And that's even more important when they're not in an office and they don't have kind of those creature comforts that companies are investing money in, the ping pong tables and stuff like that. How do you create that? You've got to have phenomenal communication skills. You've got to to help people advance in their career. Uh, You've got to really double down on your investment in people because you don't have any of those things to fall back on. Um, But you can create a great culture. So 24 years ago, which is when I went, when I left Pitney Bowes to become a CRO at a five person company uh, and build that, we built a remote sales, marketing and client success team. 
So that was 24 years ago. And then seven years ago, when I started something new, I knew that based on the success that we had had for those previous 17 years, that something could be built remote. So I've been doing and helping build remote uh, workforces for, you know, two and a half decades. Yeah, I, I had a smile on my face when you brought that topic up uh, of the ping pong tables and the bean bags, because I can remember when Amy and I, we moved to Colorado from Wisconsin seven years ago. From a workplace standpoint, two very different cultures. And yep. I was, you know, I'm selling benefits. So I'm going into these organizations and Colorado I here has a very big startup culture, right? And so you'd see the ping pong tables, the video games, the bean bags. And I remember, I forget, there was a, a article on LinkedIn a woman had written about five or six years ago where she just said, you know, you guys all think that's great, that, that you think that means good culture, but at some point you have to put your pants on and grow up yeah. <laughs> as a business. You actually have to grow up. You can't be that company who thinks it has the fun, bring your dog to work culture. You actually have to grow up if you want to scale and be an organization. So, you know, now let's switch that to leadership. Scott, because I think, again, to use a baseball term, the Oakland Athletics have had massive success not going and finding the best talent, the right talent, right, and putting yeah. the right talent on the field. The the flip side analogy of that is, you know, a team out by you, the New York Mets. <laughs> yeah. They they stack their payroll every year. They just signed, they just signed Max Scherzer, right? Yeah. But if management's a dumpster fire, which is yeah. the case in the, with the New York Mets, you're still not going to win. Yeah. So how important is leadership today when it comes, you know, we talked about how to find the right people, but what characteristics, what, how do I ask this? What makes up the characteristics of a good leader today that is able to lead the right people and create the right culture? Yeah. I mean, it's an overused term, um, but servant leadership, uh, you know, however you define that, which I'll just kind of give you what I think are the parameters of being a servant leader. It's caring about your people more than you're caring about maybe your self-interest um, and putting them first and constantly be thinking about, you know, how can I help this person achieve their goals? Because the only way you succeed as a leader is by helping other people achieve their goals. I've never seen anyone be successful as a leader and all of their people, you know, fail. That it just, it's not the way it works in sports. It's not the way it works in business. It doesn't work that way in the military. Um, you know, so you really truly have to be a servant leader. Most people aren't really cut out for that. And I think a lot of people wind up in leadership because they were successful in something else. Uh, so again, I, you and I could probably use sports analogies all day long. It's like assuming that, you know, your quarterback or, you know, pick the position, pick the sport, uh, just because they were a hall of famer, they're going to make uh, a great manager. I was listening to sports radio the other day, uh, WFAN in New York, and there was an argument a guy was saying that the Mets should hire Mike Piazza instead of Buck Showalter. And the host was saying, why are you saying that? That's crazy. And he kept saying, Mike Piazza is a Hall of Famer. And the host, to his credit, got it. He was like, 
yeah, I get that. But what does that have to do with being a successful manager? Buck Showalter, I'm sure, played baseball, maybe even played professional baseball. I'm not sure. Um, but he is a proven uh, fantastic manager. And But so often it's that sexiness of a Mike Piazza, let's make him the manager, or the delusional thinking, magical thinking that because Mike Piazza was a Hall of Fame catcher, that he's going to make a good manager. I mean, it's just crazy. But well, companies, I, do, companies do the same thing. I, I mean, yeah, I just it kind of I just had my a little epiphany there. Like, think across all sports right now. Tell me that I want you to come up with the first name that that you that comes to mind. Best football coach in the NFL right now, Belichick. or overtime. Belichick was he a good NFL football player? No. Best college football coach. Nick Saban was he a great Hall of Fame college football player? No, no, it's just, it's why, I mean, an alarmingly large number of managers in baseball are former catchers. No, they're not the best talent. They weren't all-stars, but they knew they had to manage the entire field as a catcher. Agreed. And so that is so well said because I see it again in the insurance industry, the guys, the women that have sales success are often promoted to sales manager, but that has no indication on whether or not they're going to have an ability to lead people. Agreed. Because yeah. I, I find those people, Scott, that have the, let's call it the God-given talent, are the ones who can't coach it, who can't teach it. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who often look at people and go, what's wrong with you? Just do what I do. Right. That doesn't Yeah, people, people that are top of their game, top of their field, it doesn't matter really what it is, uh, they, they sometimes really struggle to break down even how they do it. A lot of it is intuitive uh, to them, and uh, it, it's very difficult for them to translate that. Or, you know, they did it a la Kobe Bryant, a la Michael Jordan. They did it with an insane work ethic, and they get very frustrated when people don't have that same passion and that same work ethic. And it's hard, you know, to your question earlier, can you teach it? It's pretty tough to teach. Um, and it can be very frustrating when somebody doesn't have that passion. So you're better off finding somebody that, that has those, those traits. Scott, it's the number one challenge I have when I am talking to prospective clients for my coaching and consulting business. Uh, it's how much work are you willing to put in to get the result you want? Yeah. And it is more, more often than not, they don't want to do it. They want the result. They don't want to put the work in to get there. And you're right. It's hard. I, as your coach consultant, can't do the work for you. And There's no you easy button. There's yeah. no easy button in life. There's no easy button in sports, in the military, you name it. Uh, there is just no easy button. So let's let's switch it here with the few minutes we have remaining. And let's not, let's focus now taking all these ideas we have from Moneyball and how, be, how to be more like the athletics, less like the Mets. Yeah. Um, and let's talk about the Talents Champion Council. Um, sure. Founded it. Talk a little bit about it. People might be listening and going, cool. Sounds like a cool thing. I have no idea what it is. Why did you start it? What's it about? Who's it for? Yeah. So, you know, it, it was uh, like an epiphany moment. So this was last August. My wife and I decided to get out of Dodge and go for a little road trip during COVID. And we said, uh, you know, what have we heard about a lot that we've never been? So we, we chose... Charleston, South Carolina, 
Um, so we drove to Charleston, South Carolina, which is a, a long, long trip from Connecticut. And I will say dumb idea to go in August because it was like a swimming pool, the humidity and the heat. It was unbelievable, but it was absolutely gorgeous. Loved it. On the drive home, I was saying to my wife, I was saying to Meg, you know, I love my business and I love my business because it gives me two things. It gives me the opportunity to give back and it gives me the opportunity to help people. The problem is it's not overly scalable in that we can only work with maybe about 100 companies a year and then we're pretty much maxed out. So I wanted to figure out. So in the car ride, we're literally talking about how could we give back more? Uh, how could we help more people? And I thought, well, these companies that we're helping with their talent strategy are just made up of individuals uh, that really don't have a great grasp of how to do talent acquisition, how to do onboarding, how to do retention. And I'm not talking about HR people, I'm talking about leaders. Um, so I thought, why don't I start a membership community, a private membership community for leaders that have a people over everything mindset and teach them all of those things that we teach companies, but do it through an interesting lens of corporate icons, uh, professional coaches and professional athletes uh, and the military. So both the military and pro sports, I think do talent 10 times better than corporate America. The reason is they're so intentional about it. So we've brought in people like Dick Vermeil. So Dick Vermeil did a class for us on team building and culture. Uh, we've brought in Navy SEALs. We've brought in all kinds of different iconic people to teach that they're all the same principles. Um, but I think when you hear a Brandy Chastain, you know, two-time Olympic gold medalist, two-time World Cup champ, soccer hall of famer, when you hear her talk about teamwork and leadership, it strikes a little bit differently uh, than if it was somebody that maybe uh, wasn't famous or they didn't know. So I'm very lucky that I've got a ton of friends in pro sports and in the military that we can draw on. Um, so that's one of the primary ways uh, that we teach our community, but our community is over. We just launched it uh, about 10 months ago. We have 400 members in 28 countries um, and, you know, growing like crazy and it's a ton of fun and it's insanely cheap. So we priced it at $240. And it's not $240 a month, it's $240 a year uh, so that anybody, they didn't have to really think about it. They could just say, yeah, this makes sense. And their opportunity and access to amazing people is, I would say, second to none. And I think if I heard you right, you don't have to be an HR professional. It, you hear the word talent, you think recruiting Absolutely an HR. Absolutely not. We are, in a leadership role, right? If you're in any leadership role. So a big mistake is leaders say, Oh, that stuff, that's for HR, HR. No, if you are a leader, you're in the people business. So if you're a CRO, a CEO, a CFO, or if you're managing one person or two people, your success is going to be predicated on how you build your team. So you better know 
as much or more about that than HR. So we're all in HR. We're all in human resources. Um, and that's what we're doing is trying to get every leader in the world to have a people over everything mindset. That's awesome. And you said uh, you have over 400 members well, to date? In 28 countries. Wow. Uh, so our and last- when, and Hold on, hold on. This started- 10 months it, ago. 10 months ago. Over yep. 400 people in 28 countries. That's impressive. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. A <laughs> lot of fun. Well, what you, what you also, I'm sure, uncovered was you uncovered a need. If you've got that kind of um, engagement and membership in that limited amount of time, you fixed a problem others saw as well. No one's really pouring into leaders uh, and talking to them about the things that we talk about. Um, so there's a huge need. I have no doubt we're going to have thousands of members throughout the world. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, so it's just a matter of, of time. I think it's just a matter of people hearing about it when they hear about it and they experience it. Um, it's, it's very, very powerful. So if somebody listening in now is you've got them all amped up, they're interested, they want to learn more. What is the best way to learn more about Talent Champions Council or to get in touch with you? Connect with me on LinkedIn uh, or go to talentchampionscouncil.com. Uh, you're going to see uh, what, what the offering is all about. Uh, what you won't be able to see is that whether it was Brandy Chastain or Dick Vermeil or, you know, Navy SEALs and Green Berets and corporate icons like Kara Golden and Claude Silver from VaynerMedia, uh, you're, all of those are archived in our Knowledge Center. So new members, it's not like you missed out on the last 10 months. Everything's archived there. But we do those, those in particular, we do those as live interactive events. So tomorrow we have a live and interactive event with Dr. Jeff Spencer. So Dr. Spencer, get this, he was an Olympian. He's a world-renowned artist, <laughs> and he's coached U2, Richard Branson, Tiger Woods, Lance Armstrong, just to name a few. So we bring in people like Dr. Spencer to talk about uh, leadership and to talk about growing businesses and what he's done, what he's done, whether he's working with you two or whether he's working with Tiger Woods or whether he's working with Richard Branson, um, the principles of what he teaches are the same. So, you know, tomorrow uh, everybody could sign up uh, and listen to people like that. It's uh, it's a really fun, cool experience. Anybody who has spent time coaching Bono earns respect in my book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so let's let's put a bow on this, Scott. You know, if there is that that leader out there listening in who is saying who feels more like Billy Bean, where okay, I, I need to build a good team, but I am strapped when it comes to maybe payroll uh, and and what I am able to do as an organization. Let's summarize everything we've talked about. You're you're sitting down with that that leader right now who is in charge of finding the right people with a limited budget, uh, maybe some limited resources, what can they do today to focus 
on the right areas to make sure they're bringing the right people into their organization. So they can perform like an all-star, like a World Series winning team, even though they don't have the resources and maybe the payrolls, other organizations. Yeah, they've got to be super intentional. They need to really sit down and think about what do I need? They need to tap into resources, whether it's podcasts like yours, whether it's organizations like the Talent Champions Council, whether it's reading a book like Moneyball, but you've got to spend time getting, uh, you know, leveling up uh, your ability to, to do all those things and evaluate talent. Um, and there's no shortcut to that. It takes time. The shortcuts are the books that have already been written, uh, the podcasts that are out there, the communities like the Talent Champions Council that already exist that can accelerate somebody's learning curve. Well said. That's the last piece people don't think about is all of this is out there. The help is out there. So if you don't feel like you have the resources, there's people, there's there's books, there's YouTube channels out there that, that can help you get the answers you need. So, so well, so well said, Scott. So Scott, I want to thank you for your time. I had a lot of fun talking about this. Again, anytime we can talk about business and sports in the same conversation, it. it is a good day. So thank you for everybody else listening in. You know what happens when you get clarity, you mix it with confidence, massive action happens. So go make that action happen today. Scott, thank you. Andy, I can't thank you enough. This is a blast. We got to we gotta do, uh, rerun this one. Absolutely. Everybody else, go make it happen. Have a good day. Shift your mindset. Thank you for listening into this week's episode. And if you know of any other high achievers like yourself that you think would benefit from this episode, please do me a favor. Please share this with them. You would help me go a long way in sharing this message, getting this message out to as many people as possible. I'd be forever grateful. And if you really found benefit from today's episode, do me a favor, go subscribe to the podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a great review. It always helps to make sure that this podcast is getting in front of as many ears and eyeballs as possible. Thank you.